Believers are to be heavenly minded to live like heaven here on earth. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we come to these four verses at the very beginning of the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossians, your very word through Paul to us today, encourage us with what it means to have a new life in Christ, to be oriented towards him to seek him, to think on him, and to rest in his security. Oh, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. I commit myself to you that the words that I speak would be consistent and would be the very words that you would have us to hear today. Bless this, your word, in Christ's name. Amen. Please turn to Colossians 3. Verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Johnny Cash sang, You're shining your light, and shine it you should. But you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. This is a ballad he wrote as part of the Rambler series from 1977. I've always wanted to use the term Rambler in a sermon. I've always wanted to use Johnny Cash in a sermon, and today both. The title of this ballad is No Earthly Good. As much as I appreciate Johnny Cash, his appearance, he's just a cool guy. Or was. Yet I have to say that his song is wrong. The song is about being so heavenly focused that one ignores the practical implications of the gospel, that is, to spread the gospel throughout the world. And this is based, that's. That's the point that uh, Brother Johnny is trying to make in this song, but it's based on a false premise. The false premise is simply this, that if you're really heavenly minded, if you're really seeking to know doctrine and to know more about the heavenly realities, then you will not be concerned about the practical implications of living out the gospel. I think that premise is wrong. I think the statement being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good is based on a false premise, a false understanding of what it means to be a new creature in Christ. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity helps us understand the reality when he said this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. 
Lewis would say, those who are heavenly minded in the truest sense are the ones who are of the most good in this world. And Paul's teaching in our text today exhorts us similarly that we are to be heavenly minded. We are to seek and think on heavenly things so that our manner of walk will be fully pleasing to the Lord. And as our walk is in a manner worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to him, this was Paul's prayer in chapter 1 and verse 10 of Colossians, if our walk is like that, then our heavenly mindedness will result in the greatest good here on earth as God's people walk faithfully in him. Chapter, well, so, so Paul's teaching exhorts us to seek and to think, exhorts us to be heavenly minded. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 serves as a transition between what Paul has said in the first two chapters that really focuses on this false teaching in Colossae that threatens to hinder the believer's walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so these first four verses bridges from Paul's focus in chapters 1 through 2 to a new direction in chapter 3 and the rest of the latter. And that is the practical implications of walking in a manner that is worthy, fully pleasing to the Lord. What are the practical implications of God working in us, putting to death in us sin and giving us new life, resurrection life in the Lord Jesus Christ? What are the practical implications of that? That's what Paul is beginning to teach here in chapter 3 and through the end of the letter. But today we want to look on this, this bridge between these two major sections in the book of Colossians. Just four verses, but four verses that are packed with meaning. Because here the Apostle Paul, in this short paragraph, speaks to our new life orientation in Christ. He speaks to the fact that we have a new ambition, a new life's pursuit in Christ. And he concludes by directing us to a new life security in Christ that lasts for eternity. So those three points you'll find on a sermon outline in your bulletin. But let's dig in by looking at verse 1. First, the Christian's new life orientation in Christ is this, to keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is. 
What we desire is what we seek. I think that's largely true. We may desire a particular product, let's say a particular flavor of ice cream. Not that I'm describing my desires. And so if we're desiring this particular type of ice cream, we may spend the time and the energy it takes going from store to store to find just that right flavor. Not that I've done that. But the basic principle is that which we desire governs in large part what we seek. The context of chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, this brief paragraph that we're studying today is Paul's exhortation to the Colossians to not to submit themselves to the dangerous requirements of this false teaching that was spreading throughout the city of Colossae and infecting this new church, the church of the Colossian believers. He has already given in the previous chapters that we've studied reasons not for the Colossians not to submit to this false teaching. They have died with Christ to the old world with its philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world that are not according to Christ. Paul states this in chapter 2, verses 8, 20, and 22. They had died to that domination of the old sin nature. He speaks of this in chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, and chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. And we have referenced Romans chapter 6. We've been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to new life. We're dead to that old sin nature. Not that it doesn't cause issues and not that we don't struggle with it, but it no longer has dominion over us. We're not held in bondage to that old sin nature in Christ Jesus. They not only identify with Christ in his death, but Paul has already declared that the believer identifies with Christ and his resurrection. In chapter 2, verse 12, Paul speaks of the, of the believer being raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him, that is Christ, from the dead. We identify with Christ's resurrection in him. And now in chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says you've been raised with Christ. The believer's participation in Christ's death and resurrection results in a whole life change with regards to our orientation, our aim, our focus in life. Those united to Christ in his death and resurrection are no longer oriented, are no longer desirous, and no longer seek the things of this world, but the desire is for Christ and the things of heaven. This is our new orientation in Christ Jesus. We may struggle with it. We may be unfaithful with regards to it. But the reality of the one who is identified with Christ in both his death and his resurrection is that we have a new orientation that is no longer in the things of this earthly world 
the elemental spirits, as Paul has said, but it is an orientation toward the things that are above where Christ is. That's our new orientation. And Paul's verb that he uses to seek in verse 1 is a command, and it carries with it the connotation of keep on seeking. It's not something that is one and done. It is a lifelong pursuit, keeping on seeking, keeping on being oriented to the things that are above. Jesus put it like this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, Jesus said, will be taken care of. I'll take care of them. Keep on seeking the kingdom, Jesus said. Keep on seeking the things that are above where Christ is, Paul says. They're saying the same thing. And the reason Paul gives for seeking heaven is it is where Christ is, seated at the right hand. So Tom read this psalm, Psalm 110, and here, here the psalmist speaks of a future ruler in the line of David sitting at the Lord's right hand. And Paul interprets Psalm 110 in a Christological way, not only here in Colossians, but in other places in, the, in his epistles in the New Testament. In particular, just for an example, Ephesians chapter 1, where here Christ speak, uh, Paul speaks of Christ's resurrection from the dead and his ascension seated at his right hand. Very similar language to Psalm 110. Thus Paul points to say the exalted Christ reigning and ruling with all honor and authority at the right hand of the Father is the very center of these heavenly realities which we are to seek. And we could simply say what Paul means is seek the things above, seek Christ who is reigning and ruling in honor and all authority, the very center of these heavenly realities. Our new orientation is where hope is found, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let me just say this. If you or if I are seeking hope in, in anything else, if our orientation to have hope is in anything else but the Lord Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, we will never find, there's no hope in anything else. And the believer's orientation has been changed and the focus is where hope, the only hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. This change in orientation is absolutely necessary and fundamental And we shouldn't turn neither to the left nor to the right to try to find hope in any other thing or person. 
but the Lord Jesus Christ. Greg Bill writes, the seeking is a desire to have one's thinking and lifestyle continually oriented around Christ's kingship over all things. That's our orientation. Christ's kingship over all things. Now, we have a surprise in this verse. And the surprise is reflected in the very first word or very first phrase, if then. Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ. He, he begins similarly in chapter 2, verse 20. If with. Now what is his point in beginning with this condition? If. He wanted the Colossians and he wants each one of us to consider have I died with Christ to this world? You know, we, we, we sang the God of Abraham praise. The God of Abraham praise at whose supreme command from earth I rise and seek the joys at his right hand. I all on earth forsake its wisdom, fame, and power and him my only portion make my shield and Tower, is that your profession? Is that my profession? If then. That's a question for me. And that's a question for you. For us to consider. Have I died to this world with Christ? Have I been raised with Christ? To a resurrection life and if I answer yes then I must understand that my only orientation is to be where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in all honor with all authority the reigning king is to encompass my life is to be my only focus in life, is to be my orientation in life. And if you answer no, then please come and see me. Call me. Contact an elder. Let's sit down and talk about why you answered no to Paul's if then because this is the most important question you will ever contemplate because if you have not died along with Christ to this world and been raised with him identified with his resurrection life then you are not part of his church. You're not a believer. And if that is where you are, 
would you give me the opportunity to speak with you and to share with you the hope where Christ is? Believers are to seek the heavenly realities by being heavenly minded in order to live like heaven here on this earth. And secondly, the believer's new ambition, the believer's new pursuit is this, to set our minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Verse 2, the, the command to set our minds on is this very simply understood as think on. That's what Paul is commanding us to do. This describes how we are to seek. We seek the things that are above by thinking on the things that are above. You know, what, we're, what we think on, what, what consumes our thoughts in large measure is what drives how we live. If we are consumed with thinking about having enough money to live on today and having enough money to live on in retirement, we'll be driven to one degree or another by thinking, guess what? To have enough money to live on today and to have enough money to live on in retirement. Now, it is a good thing to have enough money to live on today and to have enough money to live on in retirement. But is seeking money that which is ruling in our lives? That's Paul's question. Are we submitting to the things of this world and allowing them to rule over us or are we submitting to Christ, thinking about him, submitting to him, that's what Paul's exhortation is seeking to do. The way the Colossians were to go about seeking the things above was not to set their minds on the earthly things and the immediate thing of this earth to which Paul is pointing is that false teaching that was making its way in and through the Colossian church. Paul, Paul is saying... Don't set your minds on that. that. That false teaching that's part of that old life, that old world, those elemental teachings that are contrary and not according to Christ. Don't set your mind on those things and in so doing, in effect, submit to those things and those requirements those false teachers are trying to in slave you to. Look at chapter 2 verses 16 through 23. Paul is warning about setting our minds on things of this earth that have the potential to actually enslave us and rule over us. Rather, he says, we are to think on things above where Christ is. Their lives were to be ruled by Christ. He is to be the driving force of our living. 
He has all that the Colossians need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, chapter 1, verse 10. Paul has already said in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, that Christ is the sovereign creator and Christ is the sovereign redeemer. Christ is supreme and sufficient. Submit to him. Be enslaved to him. Desire him to drive your life, not the things of this world. And I want to be clear, the things, there are many things in this world that we have to think on, that we have to deal with. Bills come, got to pay them. The point is, are we dwelling on the things of this world at the expense of dwelling on Christ and are the things of this world driving our lives instead of Christ driving our lives? That's the issue which Paul is addressing here. This is Paul's exhortation. Is don't set your mind on the things of earth, even good things. Christ has all we need. Be heavenly minded. Think on Christ and the things of his kingdom. Be consumed with thoughts of him. Be driven more and more by him. Submit more and more to his rule. And I'll tell you that if we are more and more seeking him by thinking on him, we will more and more submit to him. I don't know if you found this, but the more you know about Jesus, the more you love him. Have you discovered that? You tell me I don't have all that much love for Jesus. That's probably because you don't know him. I mean, every time we do a public profession, not profession, confession of sin, even the one that Derek led this morning, yeah, we should, we should confess our sins. We, we, should, we should rest in the hope of the gospel and we should come boldly, but we, we should also fall more in love with Christ. Who would so love a sinner like me. And I'm just telling you, the more we seek the things above where Christ is seated, the more we think on the things above where Christ is seated, the more we are consumed by thoughts of Christ, the more that our love wells up for him. And get this, the more our life is lived consistent with him. There is a link, a connection between thinking and the manner of our life. If the manner of our life is problematic, then we need to think about what we're thinking about. Paul sets before us a choice. Do we want to be, listen, here's, it's, it's a simple choice. Do we want to be ruled by the things of this earth, even good things? Or do we want to be ruled by Christ? The believer says, I want to be ruled by Christ. 
as Paul would say, seek him and think on him. To set our minds on the things above means embracing right knowledge. The fancy word is orthodoxy. But we embrace the right knowledge, orthodoxy, for the purpose of right living. And the fancy word is orthopraxis. I have found this distinction is just so helpful. <laughs> of course, we could be accused since we're born in Presbyterian as being so heavenly minded. We're so concerned about doctrine that in, in some sense, maybe Johnny was right by the way some of us live. So concerned with doctrinal accuracy that we're no earthly good. We, you know, we don't even practically think about the, the gospel being fleshed out in our lives. That, 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 that's nothing but good old timey sin, by, by, by the way. Because the purpose of right doctrine was to glorify the Lord and, and to know Him. But we can't separate right living from it. It's the, it's the indicatives of Scripture. This is truth. And the imperatives of Scripture this is the command, how you should live. And we see it right here in this bridge paragraph, the first part of Colossians. Think on Jesus. Dig into doctrine. Read your Bible. Desire to more and more, to more deeply know Christ and the things of Christ and God's word. Not as an intellectual pursuit, but that by God's grace we might live out that truth practically in our lives. Seek and think is for living rightly. To walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Over the next two weeks, we'll focus on two practical implications of setting our minds on Christ. We set our minds on Christ and not the things of this earth in order that Christ might drive us to put to death sin more and more. Look at verses 5 through 11, where we are told to put to death sin. Well, in order to do that, Paul is saying, set your minds on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Let Christ drive you. Submit to him as you seek to live faithfully by putting to death sin in your life. And then secondly, we'll also look at verses 12 through 17. Same thing. Set, set your mind on Christ above that you might put to death sin and also that Christ might drive you more and more to put on his virtues. You see? You see how critical these four little verses are? How practical they are to our living? This new life in Christ Jesus. And we'll end with this. Thirdly, the Christian's new life is a life of security. Verses 3 and 4 verse 3 in particular, your life is hidden with Christ in God, and then verse 4, 
Christ who is your life. Paul has exhorted believers to seek the things above, where Christ is seated. And seek the things above, Paul has said, you, you seek the things above by setting your minds and you, your focus is on these heavenly realities and not on the things of the elements of this old earthly reality and in particular in the context Paul, of, of Paul's letter represented by this false teaching. Don't submit to that false teaching. Submit to the things above. Now he gives the reason to seek and think and submit to Christ. And we know it's the reasons because of verse 3, it begins with 4. So in what Paul is saying, in, in light of what I've just said in verses 1 and 2, this is why <laughs> you should seek and set your mind on the things that are above. The reason Paul commands the believer to seek and think on Christ is this simply put, because of our union with Christ. The very things he's already focused on throughout the letter thus far, our union with Christ, that is our identification with Christ and his death, and our identification with his resurrection life, that results in each believer united to Christ living and having a new life in him. Paul has already spoken about these identities, not only in previous chapters and in verses 1 and 2, but now in verses 3 and 4, he wants to really drill down on this reason why we should seek and set our minds on the things above. He, he does so with an exclamation point here. And so he says the believer has, has a new orientation in seeking the things of heaven and a new ambition to set their mind, to think on heavenly things and not to think on the things of this old earthly reality. Why? Because you've been freed from dominion to that old nature and that old earthly, those old earthly realities. You've died to the old life, to the old world, to the old nature. You've been risen, raised with Christ in a new life and hidden with Christ in God. That, that resurrection life with Christ, Paul is saying, is hidden with Christ. Look at verse 3. The believer's hidden resurrection life with Christ, I believe, points to the security that we have in Christ. Paul may be alluding with this, this phrase, hidden with Christ in God, to Psalm 30 and verse 20, where the psalmist says, In the cover of your presence you hide them from the plots of men, you store them in your shelter from the strife. Think of how that would resonate with these Colossian believers who were new believers and threatened with false doctrine. And Paul coming to them and saying, listen, you have hope because you're securely hidden with Christ in God. He has covered you with his presence, hiding you from the plots of men, hiding you 
keeping you secure from the false doctrines that are being brought to bear upon you. The believer is held secure, hidden with Christ, and notice in verse 4, until he appears. And Paul brings this brief paragraph about seeking and thinking on the heavenly realities right to the place of the believer actually stepping into the heavenly reality at the end of the age when Christ appears. Verse 4 encourages us that because of our resurrection life hidden with Christ in God, the fact that he is now our life, that we will appear with him in glory. And I believe this is a reference to the end of the age when Christ comes again and the finally bodily resurrection and transformation of the believer to spend eternity with our triune God and all the saints in heaven. I mean, this, this really is just amazing. Paul says, seek heaven, think on heaven, because you're going to heaven. <laughs> Isn't that encouraging to you? Isn't that a reason for us to be oriented towards the things above where Christ is seated? Isn't it a reason for us to set our minds on the things above and not on the things of this earth? We are dead in Christ Jesus to the power of this world to hold us in bondage. We have a new life, a new resurrected life, risen with him, and we're hidden with Christ. He covers us and protects us securely from the threats of dangerous men and everything else so that our seeking and thinking on heaven will one day be realized by us stepping into heaven with a new glorified body. Paul, Paul's application is for us not to live by sight, focused on the things. You see, that's what the false teachers wanted the Colossians to do, is to live by sight. No, you need to submit to these worldly things here, this worldly doctrine, these, these worldly human traditions, these, these things, by the way, not according to Christ. But you need to submit to them because you can see them, you can taste them, they're created by man. And Paul would say, no. The lie is live by sight and you'll be okay. That's, a, that's the lie Paul is pointing out here. We're to live by faith, focus on the heavenly realities, to place our trust in Christ, to be oriented towards him, to seek him, to think on him, to rest in the fact that our resurrected life is hidden in him. Our, our new life is hidden 
in him, protected by him, secured by him for his appearing and for our glorification. You see, being heavenly minded in the way that Paul has described in this brief paragraph is exactly what we should do. But I want to be upfront with you today. I struggle with being heavenly minded. I mean, I, I understand what Paul is saying here. I don't have any question with it whatsoever. I affirm it wholeheartedly. But, we, but I, and maybe you, I suspect a number of you might agree with me, that we can so quickly become earthly minded. We, we, we can so quickly fall into being submitted to the, the earthly standards and be driven by them and not be submitted to Christ and be driven by, by him. I mean, I have, maybe, maybe this has been your experience. You get up in the morning, and I get up early. So I've got a long day ahead of me. So I've got plenty of time to mess up. I mean, now, did I say that? So you get up in the morning, and my practice is, is that I, I read my Bible, which is good, right? That's, that's what your pastor should do, and that's what we all should, should do. But here's the thing. So, so I, you know, I don't know, maybe... I don't want to overdo this, but but I could say, okay, so I'm heavily minded for the first 30 minutes or so I'm, I'm, after making coffee, of course. Now, there you go. Already I start out earthly minded. I got to have that coffee. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. So I, I do my Bible reading and, you know, do my little devotional thing. And as I have evaluated just what normally happens to me it is absolutely it is absolutely amazing to me that so quickly the the pressures of this world can creep in and before i know it whatever heavenly mindedness i had has been co-opted by earthly mindedness such that i'm of no heavenly good practice seems to be that it is a struggle to seek and set our minds on the things that are above. Would you agree with that? Please tell me I'm not the only one here. But I think there's a purpose in that. And here's the purpose. To continually drive us from setting our minds on earthly things that we would yet again repent of that and seek and set our minds on the things above. Paul is reminding us that seeking the things above, setting our mind on the things above is to be a continual orientation and reorientation, a continual thinking on and rethinking on 
that we would more and more see our need to flee to him where we are hidden for eternity. Rest in him. Trust him. And more and more, loosen our grip and our thoughts on the things of this world that seek to enslave us, that we would be free to seek and set our minds on Christ, where there is true life and liberty. Paul has shown us that Johnny Cash was off base with his song, No Earthly Good. Paul gives the truth. We are to be heavenly minded to seek and to think on the heavenly realities with Christ at the center that we might more and more walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And when we walk in a manner that is fully pleasing of the, that is a manner that is Uh, worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to him, we will be of the greatest good on this earth. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we acknowledge our struggle. We acknowledge our weakness and frailty in being driven more by the things of this earth than perhaps we would care to admit But thankfully, you know us better than we know ourselves. You're gracious and you're good. And Father, I pray that more and more that you would reorient us to yourself. That you would cause us to think more and more of you. And that we would find our security and our hope as those who have a new life, a new resurrected life in Christ Jesus and who are hidden in you until you appear and we at last come into our heavenly home where you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.